little review. Last week, what reason did Jesus give for why his disciples did not fast like John's disciples did? He was still with them. How did he describe that? What did he say? What did he call himself? How did he refer to himself? Refer to himself as the bridegroom. Said the attendants of the bridegroom don't fast while the bridegroom's with them. So in connection with that, when did Jesus say his disciples would fast? When the bridegroom was taken away. What was he alluding to? I bet you know. He talked about this with them several times. That he would be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, raised the third day. How would you express the point Jesus made using the parables about the patch cloth and wineskins? We didn't talk a whole lot about that, but we did talk about it. And surely if you have read that, you've thought about it, you've pondered over it. What was the point? What do you think he's trying to say when he says, don't patch an old garment with a piece of new cloth and don't put new wine in old wineskins? What's that? Out with the old, in with the new. In other words, there's a change coming. And they should have been aware of that, at least from the standpoint of the prophets. Jeremiah, especially, chapter 31, said, Days are coming when God's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old one that your fathers broke, but going to write this one on your hearts. And so they, they knew there was a new covenant coming. They knew the Messiah was coming, going to make some major changes. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And you don't, you don't mix, you don't add the old to the new. This is another passage where he's talking about it. It may not be so blatant, but other passages talk about the fact that the Old Covenant was intended to pass away. It wasn't meant to be forever. How did Paul refer to it when he wrote to the churches of Galatia? The old law was a schoolmaster, a tutor. To do what? To bring us to Christ. And now that Christ has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. So there's, there's an Old Testament, we call it, an Old Covenant, and there is a new covenant, a new testament bought with the blood of Christ. And once you're in the new, you, you don't need the, well, the old one's gone. That's, you, you can't practice it. Why can't you practice the old covenant anymore? You don't have the priesthood. You don't have a priesthood. You can't offer sacrifices. You can't offer sacrifices. You don't have any forgiveness. And there's a reason for that. There's only one sacrifice, and that's Jesus. So that's all that's wrapped up in these two parables. What was Jesus teaching through the grain and the man's withered hand? What grain? Okay, they were going through the wheat field. When? When were they going through the wheat field? Sabbath day. On Saturday... And the law said you can't do any work on Saturday. And so he was being confronted about that. And what did he say? In, in this context, there are other contexts where he talks about the Sabbath and things you do on the Sabbath. Uh, what are some of the things he mentioned you do on the Sabbath that, that, that normal people do and don't even think about? Number one, you pull an animal out of the pit, a sheep or a goat or an ox. And, and what else do you do? Not just pull it out of the pit. What do you do before you have to worry about it being in a pit? Don't you lead it to water? 
you do these things. How about, this one's interesting. What if the eighth day of your child's new life falls on a Sabbath? Jesus said that. Even circumcision takes place on the Sabbath, if that's the day. That's other places, but here he says this. And by the way, he refers to himself in a very interesting way. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what's he what's he teaching? Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, but is there anything else there? One of the reasons I don't mind slogging through, I, I, I don't really think of it as slogging through. I'm just talking about the fact, we're not moving real fast, are we? But it's okay if, as we're moving, we're thinking about Jesus, and the wheels are turning. How are we still supposed to apply what he says? I don't know if you've noticed it, but as you read the Bible, you'll read a section, and there's not a little post section that says, now that you've read this, here's the points that you needed to have learned, and here are the ways you apply that. There's nothing like that there. It's as if God expects us to be smart enough to do that ourselves. And so that's what we do. We read these things, and we try to figure out, all right, we're studying Luke's gospel on Wednesday night. How's that going to change the way we live on Thursday? How's that going to impact the way I conduct myself on Thursday? How's that going to change the way I interact with my family on Thursday? How's this going to change my attitude towards life and towards getting up to go to work and towards dealing with people who are obnoxious and irritants? I know you don't have any people like that in your life. But for those people who do, who live somewhere else, this this is what this is all about. Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly and to give it with an eternal quality. And so I'm hoping all these things make a difference as we think these things through. Here's something I'm thinking about with regard to the, to the grain and him saying the Son of Man's Lord of the Sabbath. And yeah, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but what do you do with that guy's hand? And really, how much work was involved? <laughs> he said, stretch out your hand. Ooh, a lot of work there. And the man's hand was healed. And instead of celebrating, people were angered to the point of trying to find a way to destroy Jesus. I'm just thinking there, there's a law. But Jesus is telling us, all right, there, there are exceptions to the law because the law was not given to punish people. The law was given to bring us towards God. And don't, don't become so rigid. What is it Solomon said? Don't become so righteous, over-righteous that you destroy yourself. Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? Don, you had something? Well, you said how much work was involved. Sometimes I think... You know, we think when Jesus healed somebody, it didn't require anything of him. But it did say in one place it was either Jesus or one of the apostles that says they felt the power. Come, I think it was Jesus when he right. they felt the power coming from him. You know, and, and, and I don't want to give any credence to something that's beyond the scriptures, but in the movie, you know, the Jesus movie, um, it looked like he was pretty tired after healing a bunch of people. 
Well, it said so that earlier. It could be. It could have been that it was tiring for him to heal. So maybe the, yeah. physically on him, it was. It was. It was something that came from him when he healed somebody. I don't know, but it doesn't say. Right. That but was when he, he was in the big Sometimes I think people. we want to think of this magical thing. Oh, it's nothing for him. He just, you know, hit his arm. Yeah. He he was in a crowd, and, and the woman came forward and touched his garment, and, and he knew the power went from him. <clears throat> point was, is it might have been some work, so to speak. Okay. Now, what, what's the whole point of honoring the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath? Was it just that nobody works? Or was there a recognition of something else greater? Now you're going to have to talk louder. Oh, you're on. Let me put this here to you. Yes, he rested on the seventh day after creation. So he said, all right, you're going to keep the Sabbath day and make it holy and, and don't do any servile work. The stuff that had to be done, they knew was done. You have to lead your ox to water. You, you've got to take care of that on the Sabbath day. If they fall in a ditch, you got to pull them out on the Sabbath day. Young man needs to be circumcised. We'll circumcise him on the Sabbath day. Those are things that were the exceptions to the rule, and Jesus is pointing these things out. He also gave the example of David when he was fleeing from Saul. He went into the, the tabernacle, and, and he ate the, the holy bread that wasn't supposed to be eaten like that, but this was an exceptional situation. A little review. Last week, what reason did Jesus give for why his disciples did not fast like John's disciples did? He was still with them. How did he describe that? What did he say? What did he call himself? How did he refer to himself? Refer to himself as the bridegroom. said the attendants of the bridegroom don't fast while the bridegroom's with them. So in connection with that, when did Jesus say his disciples would fast? When the bridegroom was taken away, what was he alluding to? I bet you know. He talked about this with them several times, that he would be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, raised the third day. How would you express the point Jesus made using the parables about the patch cloth and wineskins? We, we didn't talk a whole lot about that, but we did talk about it. And surely if you have read that, you've thought about it, you've pondered over it. What was the point? What do you think he's trying to say when he says, don't patch an old garment with a piece of new cloth and don't put new wine in old wineskins? What's that? Out with the old, in with the new. In other words, there's a change coming. And they should have been aware of that, at least from the standpoint of the prophets. Jeremiah, especially, chapter 31, said... Days are coming when God's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old one that your fathers broke, but going to write this one on your hearts. And so they, they knew there was a new covenant coming. They knew the Messiah was coming, going to make some major changes. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And you don't, you don't mix, you don't add the old to the new. This is another passage where he's talking about it. It may not be so blatant, but other passages talk about the fact that the Old Covenant was intended to pass away. It wasn't meant to be forever. How did Paul refer to it when he wrote to the churches of Galatia? The old law was a schoolmaster, a tutor. To do what? To bring us to Christ. 
And now that Christ has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. So there's, there's an Old Testament, we call it, an Old Covenant, and there is a New Covenant, a New Testament, bought with the blood of Christ. And once you're in the new, you, you don't need to. Well, the old one's gone. That's, you, you can't practice it. Why can't you practice the old covenant anymore? You don't have the priesthood. You don't have a priesthood. You can't offer sacrifices. You can't offer sacrifices. You don't have any forgiveness. And there's a reason for that. There's only one sacrifice, and that's Jesus. So that's all that's wrapped up in these two parables. What was Jesus teaching through the grain and the man's withered hand. What grain? Okay, they were going through the wheat field. When? When were they going through the wheat field? Sabbath day. On Saturday, and the law said you can't do any work on Saturday, and so he was being confronted about that. And what did he say? In, in this context, there are other contexts where he talks about the Sabbath and things you do on the Sabbath. Uh, what are some of the things he mentioned you do on the Sabbath that, that, that normal people do and don't even think about? Number one, you pull an animal out of the pit, a sheep or a goat or an ox. And, and what else do you do? Not just pull it out of the pit. What do you do before you have to worry about it being in a pit? Don't you lead it to water? You, you do these things. How about, this one's interesting. What if the eighth day of your child's new life falls on a Sabbath? Jesus said that. Even circumcision takes place on the Sabbath if that's the day. That's other places, but here he says this. And by the way, he refers to himself in a very interesting way. The Son of Man is... Lord of the Sabbath. So, what's he what's he teaching? Son of Man's Lord of the Sabbath. But is there anything else there? One of the reasons I don't mind slogging through. I I, I don't really think of it as slogging through. I'm just talking about the fact we're not moving real fast, are we? But it's okay if, as we're moving, we're thinking about Jesus. And the wheels are turning. How are we still supposed to apply what he says? I don't know if you've noticed it, but as you read the Bible, you'll read a section, and there's not a little post section that says, now that you've read this, here's the points that you needed to have learned, and here are the ways you apply that. There's nothing like that there. It's as if God expects us to be smart enough to do that ourselves. And so that's what we do. We read these things, and we try to figure out, all right, we're studying Luke's gospel on Wednesday night. How's that going to change the way we live on Thursday? How's that going to impact the way I conduct myself on Thursday? How's that going to change the way I interact with my family on Thursday? How's this going to change my attitude towards life and towards getting up to go to work and towards dealing with people who are obnoxious and irritants i know you don't have any people like that in your life but for those people who do who live somewhere else this this is what this is all about 
Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly and to give it with an eternal quality. And so I'm hoping all these things make a difference as we think these things through. Here's something I'm thinking about with regard to the, to the grain and him saying the Son of Man's Lord of the Sabbath. And, yeah, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but what do you do with that guy's hand? And really, how much work was involved? <laughs> he said, stretch out your hand. Ooh, a lot of work there. And the man's hand was healed. And instead of celebrating, people were angered to the point of trying to find a way to destroy Jesus. I'm just thinking there, there's a law, but Jesus is telling us, all right, there, there are exceptions to the law because the law was not given to punish people. The law was given to bring us towards God. And don't, don't become so rigid. What is it Solomon said? Don't become so righteous, over-righteous, that you destroy yourself. Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? Don, you had something? You said how much work was involved. Sometimes I think, you know, we think when Jesus healed somebody, it didn't require anything of him. But it did say in one place it was either Jesus or one of the apostles. It says they felt the power. I think it was Jesus when he was right. They felt the power coming from him. You know, and, and, and I don't want to give any credence to something that's beyond the scriptures, but in the movie, you know, the Jesus movie, um, it looked like he was pretty tired after healing a bunch of people. Well, it said so, that earlier. Yeah, it could be. It could be that it was tiring for him to heal. So maybe the, yeah. physically on him, it was. It was. It was something that came from him when he healed somebody. I don't know, but it doesn't say. Right. That but was when he, he was in the big crowd. Sometimes I think we want to think of this magical thing. Oh, it's nothing for him. He just, you know, it was on her. Yeah. He he was in a crowd, and, and the woman came forward and touched his garment, and, and he knew that power went from him. <clears throat> point was is it might have been some work so to speak okay now what what's the whole point of honoring the sabbath and keeping the sabbath was it just that nobody works or was there a recognition of something else greater now you're going to have to talk louder oh you're on I'll put this here to you Yes, he rested on the seventh day after creation. So he said, all right, you're going to keep the Sabbath day and make it holy and, and don't do any servile work. The stuff that had to be done, they knew was done. You have to lead your ox to water. You've you got to take care of that on the Sabbath day. If they fall in a ditch, you got to pull them out on the Sabbath day. Young man needs to be circumcised. We'll circumcise him on the Sabbath day. Those are things that were the exceptions to the rule, and Jesus is pointing these things out. He also gave the example of David when he was fleeing from Saul. He went into the, the tabernacle, and, and he ate the, the holy bread that wasn't supposed to be eaten like that, but this was an exceptional situation. And so Jesus referenced that, and he says, so why, are you, why would you condemn us for rolling grain in our hands on the Sabbath day? In other words, think about this. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe God would tell us, don't use my commands to oppress one another. Does that sound disrespectful towards anything God has taught? I hope not. But that seems to be what Jesus is saying here. Uh, Bobby. The uh, 
One other thing, too, is God realized that, that men's greed would have them working seven days a week, 24 hours. And he said, this way I know you'll rest. I'll make you rest. Right. Have you ever said to yourself recently, now I understand why God said not to work one day out of the week? Because we, we work during the week, and then when the weekend comes, well, we're going to have fun on the weekend. And then you do things on the weekend that are harder on you than the work you do through the week. And by the time Monday comes around, you need, you need a vacation from your vacation. Jamie. Right. Let him rest. All right. I think it's time to do some reading. Chapter 6. We're just going to read this section first, talk about it a little bit, and then uh, move on from there. <laughs> move on from there, right. Who would like to read that? Chapter 6, 12 to 19. Got a volunteer? All right, Janie. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called Zealot, and Jesus, the son of James, and Jesus Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. And the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Excellent. Thank you. So, why do you suppose the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to make sure to tell us Jesus spent the whole night in prayer? And you could have said Jesus went off to pray, and the next day he did this. Does it in any way make you feel a little bit convicted when you read that Jesus spent a night in prayer? When is the last time you spent a night in prayer? And I'm, I'm not making any presumptions, but I just don't think that's something we do very often. Spend an entire night in prayer. Now, why would Jesus need to spend a night in prayer? He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He has the quality of divinity. If the spirit of God is with anyone, it's with him, and yet he spends a night in prayer. And what's he do the next day? Chose the 12. What do you think he was praying about? That's speculation. I'm asking for speculation. But <laughs> you look at the context and you think, well, I don't know. But I bet it was about those guys one way or another. I got three hands up. Will and uh, Carrie. I started the night in prayer, but then I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to fall asleep, though. Is there a better way to fall asleep than, than praying, Carrie? I just, I know it's, I think it's reasonable to assume. I, 
you know, I, I wouldn't, I guess I don't think of it as speculation, but since, you know, uh, in context, the verses are right next to each other, it's reasonable to assume that he had a very big decision the next day or a very big, whether it was a decision he was going to make or if he'd already made it and he was praying about that or, you know, whatever it was, there was a very big undertaking the very next day. These are his 12 disciples. You know, these are the men he was going to uh, live his life with for the next few years and then, you know, charge to spread the gospel after that. So I just put, I had put a note in here from reading this previously. You know, it's just a good example uh, to us. You know, if you want to act like Jesus, well, you got to find, you know, if you, how do you act like Jesus? Well, you just read how he acted. Well, one thing he did was he prayed before a big decision. So, and, and we make decisions that for us are big. Yeah. And we don't always uh, make uh, praying about them diligently uh, a priority. So I think it's a good example. When I read this, I wonder, you know, Peter said, cast all your anxiety on the Lord. Did Jesus have any anxiety? Is it wrong to think that the Son of God might have been kind of worried about some of these things? Uh, he, he was in the garden, and what did he pray in the garden? As he sweat drops, as it were, like blood. Prayed, Father, if, if it's your will, let this cup pass. And I'm thinking, why, why would he pray that? That's the whole point of him coming. That's what he, Peter says, I know we're studying Luke. But Peter said, it was the spirit of Christ and the prophets who foretold of the suffering that he would go through. That's what the Apostle Peter says, first chapter of his first letter. So, you ever wonder if he did that so that he was allowing us to see his humanity and the struggle? What's the one thing he gave us as a memorial? The Lord's Supper. What do we remember at the Lord's Supper? The death. The death. Only the death is referenced with regard to the Lord's Supper. Not the resurrection. We love the resurrection. But that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. One thing, the death, the sacrifice, the offering up, the suffering, the difficulty, the pain, the anguish, whatever it meant to bear the sin of the world, I have no clue. But that's the one thing we're given to remember. And he prayed that way in the garden, and now he's praying all night. And just like you're pointing out, the spreading of the gospel to the whole world and for the rest of time is going to rest on the backs of these guys, these 12 men. I don't know if Jesus had any doubts. I, I don't think this was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Well, let's see, who am I going to get? I, I don't know. But... Only one, only one, as far as we know, dropped out, and that was foretold as well. Don and then Kim. Jesus' power as a human being was limited, in that, limited into that what the Father allowed him to do and when he told him to do it, basically. Just like the apostles, they couldn't just, you know, yeah, they had gifts of healing, but they couldn't just say, well, I'm going to heal this guy. They could only heal when God let them heal. Father gave. They couldn't heal themselves when they were sick. They couldn't heal their friends when they were sick in certain situations. You know, it seems like when the, when God moved them to heal people, then that's when they could heal people. But 
it seems to me it would be the same with Jesus on earth. If he, he knew his limitations, he needed to he needed to call on the Father for everything. So I, you know, he needed to uh, call on him to be sure. Is this the, you know, I'm sure he had in mind who he wanted to choose, but but he's like, I want to be sure. I mean, that said, I think his faith was so strong that he could pray all night. Mm-hmm. I've had things that I want that I was really deep on my heart. I mean, really heavy on my heart, and I still couldn't pray all night. <laughs> right. You know, not sure I wanted to. You, know, you might be like Will. You, you're praying. I'm you not sure I care that for an hour or two. <laughs> or or yeah. me, or even me, you know. But, but uh, anyway, it just seems that he, he his faith, allowed, you know, sometimes we think of it as a law. Well, if we don't, we're not very good if we don't pray all night. Well, it's really just a measure of our faith. And I'm not saying we're not going to go to heaven. I'm just saying. It's just the measure of our faith on how much we truly understand how we need for God, maybe even what he will provide, you know, and so. Well, by the way, these guys, Jesus was praying over all night. Later on, when he's in the garden, sweating drops of blood, what are those guys doing? They're sleeping. It's like, okay, there's hope for me. Uh, I, I might make it if that's what he's got. By the way, do you remember, uh, there used to be a series about Hercules, and I can't remember the actor's name who played Hercules, but it, it, yeah, that's who it is, Kevin Sorbo. He, he did a great job. It was an interesting series to watch, but I remember one scene in particular, it was freezing cold, and the wind was blowing, the snow was falling, and he's walking around in a, in a vest, just hanging out, and everybody else is freezing, wrapped up in furs, and they say, aren't you cold? Oh, I'm a god. And I thought... That, that wasn't Jesus. <laughs> when it got cold, he got cold. When he didn't have enough food, he was hungry. He got thirsty. He was a man in the flesh, just like you and me, and he understood what it was to be in the flesh. And I'm so thankful for that. Kim. He did a lot of things, for example, and I, I think, you know, I agree with Carrie that just the context and the way it is, yeah, it was a big decision, he prayed all night, but being 100% God, he had to have known from the foundation of the world who these 12 men would be. Right. So, you bring up an interesting question, what did he talk about? Just, just a matter of course, oh yeah, oh, I'll get up in the morning, I'll call those guys. No, the whole night in prayer. Wow, there's, there's something... Something going on there. Kirk? I like to answer random thoughts by me, but in Matthew 17, going, talking about Jesus himself needing to pray and understanding the importance of prayer, in Matthew 17, when he cast out the demon and his apostles hadn't been able to, he told them this guy only comes out by prayer and fasting, emphasizing that even he needed to, you know, the prayer was And this, this bears that out all night, all night. All right. So he's chosen the apostles. And then it says he comes down, verse 17, stood in a level place, large crowd of people, and what did he do? They came to hear him, but they were also being healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured 
All the people were trying to touch him. Power was coming from him and healing them all. Now remember, great crowds, great crowds, great crowds. Just before Jesus was arrested and crucified, there was this thing called the triumphal entry. What were people doing during the triumphal entry? They were cutting down palm fronds and laying them in the road, putting their clothes in the road. They were crying out. They were saying a word that got the Jewish leaders upset because it meant this is the guy. And they were afraid this was going to excite the Romans. Anyway, a couple days later, they're crying out for his blood. I'm not saying it's the same people, but this is how quickly things can change in the world. Change that way with Christ. People are coming in throngs to be healed by him. Where were all those people when the throngs were crying out for his blood? Even saying, his blood be on us and our children. Man, and that's written down. So, things can change. I I got a sermon in mind I want to preach someday talking about who your peers are. If we are paying attention to the peer pressure in this world or are grateful for the peer pressure of the other world the world of Jesus Christ and the faithful who've gone on. And you can read Hebrews 12 about that and the the great crowd of witnesses. Anyway, where are we here? Oh, we're going to go to chapter 7 and say, why are we skipping all that? Well, we're about to get into what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to make the assumption that most of you are familiar with the things that are taught in the Sermon on the Mount. There are a few things that uh, Luke adds, because I, I don't think this sermon is exactly the same sermon that Matthew records. Because you know, three years, Jesus was going around the countryside preaching and teaching. I, I think there were probably the, the same messages in a lot of different places, and maybe spoken a little bit differently, because I... You can't hardly preach the same sermon twice. In one way or another, it's going to be a little bit different. But but there are some things in the Sermon on the Mount, that, as Luke records it, that aren't in Matthew's. Uh, and that's not a contradiction. That's just saying, here's some things that Matthew didn't record that might not have been in the one he heard. Well, anyway, we're going to move on. We're going to start in chapter 7, uh, 1 through 10. Who wants to read? All right, Becca, 1 through 10, and then uh, we'll pick up with 11 through 17, and that'll be enough for right now. Who wants 11 through 17? Anybody? All right, Will, keep it in the family. Elders to ask him, ask, asking him to come and save the life. 
Soon afterward, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not go on weeping. And he came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has appeared among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout Judea and in all the surrounding regions. Very good. So where do you go back to? But Capernaum. What's significant about Capernaum? He's kind of making that his base. He grew up in Nazareth. What happened in Nazareth when he read from Isaiah in the synagogue? Or after he read from Isaiah in the synagogue? They tried to kill him. That's what happened in Nazareth, the town where he grew up. So he goes to Capernaum, and he's received there. Who else lives in Capernaum? Peter, Andrew, James, John. Because Capernaum was right on the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they worked as fishermen. So says a centurion slave who was what? He was highly regarded by the centurion. That's one thing. But then you get down to verse 3, and what does that show you about the centurion? He was highly regarded by the Jews of Capernaum. Isn't that interesting? Didn't normally happen. Verse 4 says, when they came to Jesus, these Jewish people... They earnestly implored him, saying, he's worthy for you to grant this to them. Now, what does that tell you about these guys? A couple of things. Number one, they're open to having a relationship even with a guy who's a Roman centurion. That was not a common circumstance. They were so open to this relationship, and they had become so... uh, What's the word? They had so much affection for him that they're saying, let's go to Jesus. What does that tell you? Except that they also have faith in Jesus that he can do this. If they didn't, they would say, why why would we go to Jesus? He can't do anything about this. Your slave is sick and that's just all there is to... No. They said, let's go to Jesus and let's... What's the word? Let's implore him to do something for this Roman centurion that that we are not able to do. That's to me that's outstanding. You just don't see that much in among the Jews at this point in time. And they even give evidence. He's worthy for you to grant this to him, they say in verse four. Then in verse five they say, He loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. You remember a couple of weeks back I showed you pictures of the synagogue in Capernaum? That's the synagogue that this guy built. 
So they're coming to Jesus on this man's behalf and asking blessings for him. So Jesus starts on his way, and what happens? The centurion sends some people, and what do they say? He says he's not worthy for you to come into his house. That is not typical of a Roman centurion to say to anyone who's Jewish, I'm a Roman centurion, but I'm unworthy for you to come into my house. It's usually the other way around. I have so much regard for this guy and for these people because their minds are open to things that are true. And they're seeing what's happening and it's making an impact in them, the kind of impact, exactly the kind of impact that God and Jesus, his son, and the Holy Spirit intend for this to to have. And so I read this and I think, all right, what kind of impact does God want it to have on me? Yeah, because that's really what this is all about. As I'm reading this, this is for me. This is for you. These people are changed. I need to be changed. And this is evidence that the change is good. Because everything we're reading about gives us a sense of respect and regard for these people. Verse 7, the centurion, his message to Jesus through his friends is, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he says why he believes that's true. I got servants, and I know they come here and they go there. But wait a minute. What what about this guy's servants? What about the centurion servants? Tell me about them. They're physical people who have no power to do anything about sickness. But what is he saying about Jesus' servants and Jesus' power and Jesus' authority? As a Roman centurion... He's saying, I know you have the means. How much theology do you think this guy understood? (laughs) It's not about the theology 